today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It is Friday. It is the last day of April. It is time to literally and metaphorically look ahead to brighter skies, and it's time for Options Action. With all that in mind, Carter Worth is taking a look at a setup that could help you make up for lost time. Then Tony Zhang is looking up at the clouds, playing forecaster for one name. And finally, Professor Ko is pausing to take a breath and reflect on the bigger picture. So let's get right to it. Beauty stocks having a strong start to the year despite the pandemic largely keeping consumers inside with a reopening on the horizon our chart master carter worth says there could be even more beautiful returns ahead so carter break it down for us sure before we get to the charts there are recent patterns emerging of uh, purchases just whether it's in the apparel just people buying dresses wanting to get out of their sweatpants makeup and other sort of uh, things that make you feel good but also you might need as you start to get out of the house we're going to look at estee lauder uh, but first, the first of two charts, it's a comparative chart. Now take a look at this. This is a two-year chart of Estee Lauder versus LVMH. Now, while there are different businesses, look how um, incredibly tight they are. LVMH is now the biggest stock in all of Europe at $380 uh, billion market cap. The biggest financial, Allianz, is only 100 The biggest energy, Total, $120. Uh, it is a major thing, a big thing, and Estee Lauder is is in its own way a junior version of it. Look at the second chart. This is a 10-year comparative chart of Estee Lauder and LVMH with all of those premium brands. A very reliable uh, business. And interestingly, there was always this thought that, of course, during recessions, people buy lipstick because they want to feel good. Uh, you, heads you win, tails you win. So some Estee Lauder charts on their own. Here's a one-year chart. It's the definition of an uptrend, a 45-degree angle. Next chart. Look at the channel. Those are mathematically parallel lines. I think we worked the top of the channel. We're, we're not extended, and I think the way is higher. Last two charts. The first, it's a two-panel. You're looking at now a five-year chart of Estee Lauder, and on the bottom is relative performance to the S&P. Last chart. Same exact chart, two-panel, Estee Lauder. And now look at the relative performance. Basically, Estee Lauder is just now breaking out above relative tops been in effect for almost three years. Uh, we think it's excellent and we want to be long. Charts look great for EL. Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so I think the fundamentals for the business look pretty strong as well. So right now we are you're seeing them recover much more quickly, I think, than the company had expected, than a lot of observers had expected. As Carter mentioned, they sell premium products and that offers them significant pricing power. We're anticipating to see some margin expansion and a return essentially to that six to eight percent top line growth, double digit bottom line EPS growth. And of course, their second largest market right now is China. And that is an enormous market. And right now, the average Chinese consumer is spending about one tenth what an American consumer is spending on the same products, one tenth what a South Korean consumer is spending on the same products. So, enormous growth opportunity here. But I think I, one thing I want to point out is that it is priced for that as well. It is priced very much like a growth stock. We're seeing essentially the price to earnings ratio on this one at essentially all-time highs, price to sales similarly at all-time highs. So we have a lot of that growth priced in. So we have good operating business, 
relatively high valuations on the promise of what the future might bring. So I think the way to play earnings, and they've done historically very well out of earnings, I should add. So out of the last 11 years of reported earnings, 44 reported quarters, the stock has been higher three weeks later, about two-thirds of the time. And when it is higher, it is typically higher by more, close to 8%, than it is down when it does decline that one-third of the time, down about 6.4%. So I'm comfortable making a bullish bet, but I want to do so using options because I feel like the market is extended. I feel that the valuations on a lot of stocks, including this one, are pricing in a lot of the good news that the future may bring. So I was looking at the July 310 calls, buying those. When I was looking at those around midday today, those were about $18. And then selling the May 330 calls against it, those were about four and a quarter. So I'd be spending a little over 13 bucks to put that spread on. I would point out that the stock was higher at the time that I looked at this. So it was around 315, 316. That's why I was looking at the 310 calls because only $10 strikes are available. So I was choosing the in the money calls. The stock actually priced a little bit lower at the close. So you could probably get into this trade at the closing prices around $11. Obviously, you have to see how it opens on Monday. The idea, as always, try to take advantage of the fact that the short dated options are slightly elevated in terms of their implied volatilities relative to the longer dated ones that we're looking to buy. So the charts and the fundamentals line up, Tony. Do you like Mike tr Mike's trade, though? I do. I mean, this is one of those stocks that's loved all around. If you look at the technicals, as Carter showed, it's extremely strong. And But there are some signs of exhaustion on the chart, but that's more of a concern perhaps for a pause rather than a pullback. And the, But the relative strength here is really what's to, to look at from the charting perspective. Whether you're looking at this relative to staples or consumer discretionary, uh, Estee Lauder continues to you know, print all-time highs here. But as Mike said, trading at these fairly rich valuations of 40 times next year's earnings, that's really the concern here. And from my perspective, the margin expansion that Mike was referring to really speaks to the shift that they recently have success in, in shifting more towards an e-commerce strategy and restructuring their brick, brick and mortar. And those are the things that really elevate you know, the, the, the valuations they're currently trading at. So for those reasons, I like the trade specifically regarding the fact that it's overextended and using a diagonal like this, especially a diagonal that's slightly in the money, the long call that's in the money, that helps reduce the extrinsic value that Mike has to pay on that long call. And by shorting that short out of the money call option really further reduces the time decay on this, where even if the stock it, it just stays where it is on earnings or even moves slightly lower, this is a strategy that will be either a net zero or even a small positive here, and then buys him a longer term uh, bullish outlook for Estee Lauder. Carter, did you see signs of exhaustion in the charts? Well, it's all about your time frame. Mm. So what Tony cited, right, is probably RSI. You might be looking at, I don't know what uh, particular indicator oscillator he's talking about. But in terms of its relative performance to the S&P, uh, it is very firm. And, and that is either the opportunity or the problem. Meaning, if you haven't made any progress to a benchmark in two years and you're just starting to move above uh, a relative high, do you break out? Or don't you? Uh, that is both the situation, the opportunity, or one would say the defect. And at mm. that point, it's a judgment. All right. Well, much like beauty, gazing up at the sky and seeing pictures in the clouds is highly subjective. In some cases, the same can be said about some cloud stocks. And Tony is seeing something he does not like in one name. Tony, a lot of people see things they don't like in, in a lot of these names. <laughs> what are you looking at? Yeah, so the theme this particular quarter for earnings is really strong performance for many stocks in terms of earnings, 
but poor stock performance after the fact. And I think Fastly is certainly one of those stocks that may underperform on earnings next week. So if we first take a look at the chart here, Fastly did break out to new all-time highs earlier this year, but on the earnings last quarter, started to break below a major support level around $75, and has really struggled to get back above that level and is now acting as resistance. But more importantly, relative to its sector, the technology sector, Fastly continues to print new lows here against the sector. And those are the, some of the telltale signs that you typically see the poor relative strength going into earnings that suggest a poor earnings performance. That's what I saw in Netflix and Intel over the past couple of weeks. Now, if, if you look at the business itself, it's a fairly interesting business. Um, but the one thing that I really can't get my head around right now is the fact that quarter over quarter revenue growth has slowed down to single digits and losses continue to widen. In a stock that's trading at these types of really rich valuations, that's just not something that's going to work very well going into earnings next week. So if we look at the earnings itself, it's implying right now about a 13.4% move versus the average seven, uh, the average over the last seven quarters was actually a fairly sizable 15.7%. But the implied volatility here is extremely elevated going into the event. So the trade structure I'm using is I'm going out to May, the 28th weekly options, and I'm selling the 65 by 70 call vertical here, collecting about $2.10. That's gonna collect actually more than 40% of the width, and that means I'm reducing my risk here on this call spread down to just about 59% of the width, and that's the type of risk to reward that I like to see selling a call spread going into an earnings event. Mike, what do you think of Fastly, and what do you think of this trade? Yeah, so I mean, Fastly obviously occupies that same space. Many companies do right now. It's very hard to get your arms around the valuation. We're talking about a company that's trading, you know, double digits times their revenues, and they are not actually making any money. Of course, whether that valuation makes sense is largely in the eye of the beholder, and that's one of the reasons you probably do want to look to technical analysis. So I'll leave it to the other two to make that determination. But speaking to the options trade, selling call spreads, selling credit spreads like that, are very attractive ways, especially for people who are first looking at ways to get into options to do so. And the reason is this. There's really only three things that can happen between now and expiration to the price of this stock. It can stay where it is, it can decline, or it can go higher. If you shorted the stock, obviously, if it stayed where it is, you wouldn't make or lose any money. If it declined, you'd profit, but you have unlimited risk to the upside. By contrast, by selling an upside call spread, you'll see profits if it declines. If it just stays where it is, you will also see profits. And if the stock, for whatever reason, should see valuations expand even more than they already have and takes off, as some stocks have, you actually are limiting your risk to the distance between the strikes, less the premium that you collected. So it's lower risk to the upside. What does that mean? Three things can happen. Two are good, and one is less bad than shorting the stock. So for that reason, I like the option structure. <laughs> uh, Carter, what's your take on Fastly? Well, I mean, one of the things about having had such a run, if things are dreamy, and to be in the last year 20 to a high of 136, dreams that good can turn into nightmares. And that's essentially what's happened. To plunge as it has from a high of 136 to essentially 58 and bouncing around here in the low 60s, consider this. If you were to look at all stocks in the Russell 3000, this stock is down basically 10% on a one-month basis. That performance alone, talking about poor relative strength, puts you in the bottom decile of all publicly listed securities. That means something is wrong. Wow, the bottom decile. All right, still to come. There is a scene in the animated movie Ratatouille in which a curmudgeonly food critic tests the chef by ordering a serving of perspective. 
Did you know Professor Ko is also Chef Ko? Because he's serving some up next. And hey, don't forget, we've got a website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, Options Action, the show. We'll be right, right back. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action. Individual stocks and trades aside, if one backs up and looks at the bigger picture, um, earnings and earnings from the biggest companies in the market, the markets have actually been flat. So, Carter, what, what's the story with this? Well, that's right. It, it's an interesting circumstance where, uh, in principle, the results, if you will, corporate profits, earnings results, have been great. Banks put up great numbers. The top six stocks, the names we know, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Tesla, um, you're talking about 24% of the S&P, and they were all, quote, blowout numbers. But the market didn't really move, and a lot of those stocks, in the end of the day, didn't move. So then it, it begs the question, were they blowout numbers? And at the end of the day, it's, there's no such thing as good news or bad news. There's only news. And it's how the stock reacts. So you can have a stock that beats, guides higher, talks about the biggest buyback ever, says its gross margins are going to be ever better. But if it's down, only up 1%, then the news cannot be anything but either outright boring or bad, despite what the beat was. And so that's the circumstance I think we have in the market, which begs the question, what's the follow-on act from here? After all these things that have been revealed, and they from the leading financial institutions and the leading tech names and so forth, what do we get to move the market higher? And so there's a, a thoughtful case to be made that we are making an intermediate top intermediate two, three, five months, that kind of thing. But I think that's the way to look at the market at this point. So Mike, these insights from Carter got you thinking, and this leads us to our call to action for the week. What is it, Mike? Yeah, so we're taking a look at using uh, zero cost put spread collars. Now, hedging one's portfolio, depending on how you do it, can cost a lot of money. So in addition to wanting to mitigate the downside risk, which is obviously one of the objectives of putting on a hedge, and preserving a little bit of the upside, because otherwise we would simply unwind our positions, uh, we're trying to look a, for a way that we can put on a hedge and lay out very little options premium. And that's what we're trying to do when we put on a zero cost put spreads collar. So I'm going to use as an example SPY, the ETF. It's probably uh, the easiest proxy for market holding. So if you happen to hold SPY or if you have a portfolio that behaves a lot like it, as many do, because that's essentially just the S&P 500, then you can look to a trade like this one to give yourself a little bit of a buffer to the downside without actually spending some premium. I was looking specifically at the 375 400, 435 put spread collar in July. So what you'd be doing is selling the July 375 puts, buying the 400s, and then selling the 435 strike calls. By selling the outer put wing and the upside call, you are financing the purchase of a closer to at the money put. And in this way, you still have some upside exposure up to that short call strike. In this case, if it was SPY 435, but you begin to see some protection below the long put strike of 400. And the idea here is that 
This isn't a disaster insurance. This isn't basically an enormous tail hedge. It's just a situation where if we're starting to see some stocks, big stocks that have been behaving like they're running out of energy, despite the fact that they're putting up very good numbers, essentially what we're looking at here is the potential for perhaps a little bit of a correction. And you'll notice that the short put strike that I've selected is down about 10% from where SPY was trading. Now, bear in mind, if you don't happen to own SPY or if your portfolio looks somewhat different, you could use the Qs as a proxy for your portfolio, or you could look to put on a structure just like this in the key holdings that you happen to have. But the idea here is buying a put spread, financing the purchase of that put spread by selling an upside call against stocks that you own. Tony, what are your thoughts on the markets, uh, given the, the price action we've seen this week? Well, first of all, I, I completely agree with the price action in the markets. This is one of the reasons why I've been taking a lot of short positions going into earnings events, because that's exactly what we have seen is stocks that have outperformed in theory on the earnings event underperformed on the stock itself afterwards. And I think Mike's trade really speaks to why we call Mike the professor, because it's one of the most creative ways that I've seen of utilizing options where you shift away some upside exposure in exchange to buy some downside protection at zero cost. Because the most difficult part about buying per portfolio protection comes down to how expensive it is. And this is a very creative way by selling that July, uh, July 435 call option to purchase that put spread. And I do think that even for, for viewers here who may find this trade structure a little too complex, I hope that this illuminates for you just how creative you can utilize options for to shift um, uh, you know, different risk profiles to suit your outlooks. All right. Coming up, UPS delivering some big gains this month, and that's good news for one of our traders. We'll tell you why. Stay with us. Options actually be back right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. A couple weeks back, Tony set up a way to play Intel into earnings. This is a, a stock that has continued to underperform its sector since June of last year. And despite this year's strong performance, it has failed to underperform. And that type of poor relative strength is what I see going into earnings that is potentially uh, a factor for fading this particular strength. I'm selling the 65.70 call spread here, collecting about $1.68 in terms of a credit, which is about 33% of the width. And this is a type of trade structure that allows me to profit as long as Intel stays below $65 at expiration. So Tony, how are you managing this one? So this is one of these trades where the trade went exactly the way we expected to. We sold it for $1.68. You can buy it back today for roughly $0.05. Cents. Some investors may be inclined to hold this to expiration, but my suggestion is to buy it back, remove the obligations, and free up the margin for the next trade. All right. Now, back in March, Mike laid out a way to play UPS. This is a name that actually is trading at a relative discount to the market, trading about 17.6 times forward earnings. And when you look at this, you might say, well, there could be some valid reasons for that. Among those, of course, we did see that big uptick in e-commerce as a result of the pandemic. But the problem for transportation companies like UPS is that that B2C business, margins on that aren't quite as good as they are in B2B. And then, of course, people are looking beyond the pandemic and they're thinking, well, maybe 
that tailwind starts to turn into a headwind. I was looking out to June, looking at those 165 calls, and then selling nearer dated April 170 calls against it. Now, when I was looking at this earlier today, it would cost a little over $5 to put that trade on. Those 165s were about seven and a quarter, and then you were collecting a little bit less than two to sell those 170s in April against it. The idea, as always, is to try to collect premium on those faster decaying near dated upside options. Well, the stock has gone up quite a bit since then. So, Mike, what are you doing with this trade? Yeah, so the only part of the trade that still exists, of course, are the longer June 165 calls. You would have had to have covered those April calls at expiration on the 16th. So the thing is, these are very deep options right now. I would either take profits on those longer dated calls or roll them up and out so that you're into an at-the-money or slightly out-of-the-money call option. But either way, you want to take some of your profits off the table here. What do you think of UPS, Carter? Well, if you recall, the setup was we looked at FedEx. Mm -hmm. FedEx breaks out. Let's make the bet that UPS will. It has. I think you take the money and run. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Tony, t tiebreaker here. <laughs> Mike laid out two options. What would you do? Uh, I think that I would roll it out and, mm -hmm. and keep holding on to further gains because I do think this is a strong stock. All right. Up next, we've got the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time for a tweet. Jonathan Bradley asks, on CVS with earnings this week, I was looking at the May 7th 7850 call with the cost a little less than one share. Mike, what do you think of the trade? So the stock has averaged a move of about 3%. The options market is implying a move of about 3%. So it's fair money bet. And considering the stock hasn't performed that well around earnings historically, I like it as a low-cost way to make a bullish bet. Carter, what do you make of these charts here for CVS? CVS has been bottoming for quite some time, and I think it's finally time to actually get out of the bottom and up and out, and much better than Walgreens Boots. I like CVS. Yeah. Tony, what would you tell Jonathan? I like CVS. It's prime for a breakout. All right. Time for the final call now. It's already that time. Carter Braxtonworth, what do you say? Estee Lauder. Long. Tony Zhang. Fastly slowing down, selling a call vertical. Mike Coe. For hedging, consider put spread colors. That does it for us here on Options Action. We will be back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere, though. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Have a great weekend. Today's Money Mover, Wheaton Precious Metal CEO, Randy Smallwood. A commodities outlook. What's ahead for gold and the precious metal sector? Carl Quintanilla, Sarah Eisen, Money Movers. Today, 11 Eastern, CNBC.